Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, the Herd Nerds, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week, so keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. <clears throat> Follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and like us on Facebook. And Russ, just like you called it before the, um, uh, you said by the time this episode posted, which you were talking about last week's episode, maybe Apple would approve the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll be darned if they darn sure didn't. So, for all you folks that have been slow rolling because uh, you like to listen to your podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can now subscribe to the Thundercast on Apple, uh, along with all those other major podcasting outlets. Yeah, uh, I took so, care of that. I, I, I'm, I, I appreciate that. you. I appreciate you calling, <laughs> uh, what's his name, Tim Cook, and, and making that happen. Um, it was, it's another busy, busy week around Hurt Athletics, uh, but before we get into all that, um, Thundercast brought to you as always by 304carwreck.com. So, um, before we get too deep into this episode, here's a quick word from the guys over at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Russ, it is a, let's say it's a very up and down week in herd athletics. A lot of good news has floating around. Some not so happy results from some of our teams around the athletic department. We'll get into all that. But before, as always, Give me five things that every herd fan needs to know this week. All right. Number one, Megan Smith Lyon, coach of uh, Marshall Softball, notched her uh, 500th win on Friday for softball. And of course, she added to that. Uh, 107 of those have been as a, well, up until the, the 500th were with the herd. Uh, she had 393 before she came here, but that huge to get 500 yeah. wins. Yeah, that's a pretty cool milestone. Uh, I, I haven't won 500 of anything ever, so yeah. uh, much less anything as a head coach. They just keep rolling, man. I mean, I know we'll dive deeper into the softball results of the week later on when we go around the herd athletic department, but no small feat. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago when I talked about how uh, when Coach uh, Megan Smith-Lyon was brought in to take over after Shauna Stanton departed, that the program really didn't dip at all. And they had some departures of some all-time great players, but she's really just come in and her staff, they've all come in and just continued the success that the softball team uh, had before she got here. So just kudos to her. Congratulations on the 500th career win. Um, keep tallying them up for the herd. We appreciate the effort. What you got? Number two. Number two, Marshall snagged 101 Conference USA academic medals, and that was good for second in the conference. Do you know who was number one? I tried to grab it real quick, but I just couldn't find it in quick research. You know, I I did, 
I, I read it, then I didn't write it down. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who number one <laughs> that's is. exactly right. You know, because uh, <laughs> the way I, I see it is uh, we were yeah. first runner up and that's all that matters. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but I think that is great, man. You know, when when you're talking about, you know, uh, which we'll talk a little bit later on about all of herd athletics and big green and everything, but they always say 350 plus um, athletes. scholarship scholarship yeah. athletes. Yeah. yeah. And and we got one hundred and one conference usa academic medals and unless i read this wrong this was people that was like 3.75 gpa oh is it that high dang i would have guessed like three five which is high enough for me but like well pushing 3.75 that's amazing they had they had some other things uh we came in third on the um i can't remember what that was but i think it was 3.0 and above we came yeah. in third um they call it something i wonder uh, if that's like the commissioner's honor roll or something like that yeah that's exactly what it was okay. um yeah i was trying to think of um commissioner something but yeah it was commissioner's honor roll and it was 3.0 and above we came in third that's getting it done you it know it's getting it done yeah we're doing great uh you know it, every time you know you you read about places across the nation that are in academic trouble and stuff like that to see this many athletes doing this well on uh on their academics i mean that's that's great to see makes uh makes us proud of the institution well you know i was thinking about that earlier when um <clears throat> actually earlier in the week when i saw that graphic that the uh that the athletic department put out about you know the 101 uh, academic medals and i thought you know like we as fans just the casual fan you might see that in passing and go, Oh, that's awesome. And then just kind of move along past it. But when you're a athletic department, whose job it is to recruit athletes to your school, being able to put that out there and show that to parents of these potential athletes goes a whole nother direction with it. You know, it might be just oh, some yeah. cool graphic yeah. to you, but to somebody who's thinking about sending their child or being that athlete who wants to get a quality education, you look at that and go, you know what? Dang, uh, they got a pretty good tennis team and I can get a quality education here. Or it's a selling point to these families. If it comes down to you and some other school and it's neck and neck, that could be the type of thing that is a deciding factor. I mean, what an awesome accomplishment over a hundred academic medals. And you say somewhere around 350. I know the, the math is loose there, but just a quick, real quick, like 30% ish of your student athletes of your scholarship, student athletes or whatever are making or are, are, uh, getting a academic medal, man. Crazy good. The herd Crazy is good. killing it. Second in conference USA. I love it. What you got? Uh, what's number well, three this week? Before oh, we get to three, yeah, back. I did want to clarify on here because I'm looking it up. It says uh, they announced the medals are given to those CUSA student athletes who have achieved a cumulative GPA of 3.75 or better. <laughs> yeah. I didn't ever get that once. <laughs> Not did, once. <laughs> I thought you got 4.0 or no. No. <laughs> I didn't. I, I did not. All right. Number three. This one. Um, not so much breaking news is just not out there out there right now, but yeah. uh, David Steele, longtime associate that associate athletic director, he's in charge of all of the financial affairs. He's retiring. He's going to, um, you know, go into teaching and stuff like that. Um, 
he's not hanging up, you know, retirement, retirement, but uh, his role with the big green and uh, the athletic department, he's retiring from that role. He came here in 1995 and I've got a list of things that I can read off about what he does, but what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, initially, I just think um, this is another high-profile position that will now be in um, for a change. Obviously, mm-hmm. somebody's retired. But, you know, you go, you know, we've, we're talking about all the change that has gone on already. New school president, new athletic director, and all these things down the line, all these, you know, coaches and just whatever. It's just a new conference. It's a lot of change and a lot of new, new And when you throw in the title of associate athletic director for financial affairs, seems like a pretty heavy hitting position, right? Like one of great import. So um, this is not one, not that I would expect Marshall to like dial it in or just, you know, phone phone it in and be like, ah, well, you know, whoever's been here for a while can do that. No, no, no. This looks like the perfect opportunity to hire the perfect person to take this athletic department into the next generation of fans. I mean, 1995 predates me as as a Marshall student. Yeah. So this is several, actually you could say this is two generations of fans really. Cause if my son, Mm -hmm. you know, had chosen the, uh, uh, the college route, that would be two generations of fans spanned within the time he came to Marshall and the time he retired. So yeah, uh, pretty critical hire, but uh, yeah, lay some of these, uh, some of these uh, accomplishments down. So it's his 27th year. I think that, you know, like we said, that, that longevity is amazing. Um, the consistency that you have yeah. to have, you know, to be somewhere for 27 years and perform at a, a high enough level. Um, over uh, 16 sport athletic program, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many sports we have. And this may be outdated. I don't know when this bio was. Uh, the budget could be higher now, but it said it was a $27 million annual budget. So yeah. you're talking about a guy that's just like clockwork, has been here, involved in all these different schools. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, sports and teams through here. At Marshall, he oversees business operations, budgeting, financial reporting, human resources, video, equipment services, football stadium suites and concessions he assists the director of athletics with football scheduling and assists with football team travel he is the treasurer for the big green scholarship foundation and a member of the foundation's executive committee wow i mean that is a lot you know that (laughs) is a lot that we're gonna i mean you know do they decide that this is not a one person thing and different people you know have to split these duties up. I mean, I, it happens every day in corporate America, you know, when right. somebody that has done a, a fabulous job retires, you know, maybe that's three different people. Maybe, you know, some of those duties go to people that are already here, but this is going to, going to be a big, big decision, big hire. Yeah, it is. And that's why I said, this is a very heavy hitter position. You're, you're essentially controlling how, the funds get dispersed to a certain degree. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not deciding how much the coach gets paid. Right. But you're, you're just, you're, you're in charge of travel and and all this kind of stuff. So a lot of this budgetary responsibility uh, falls on you. You like the buck stops with you. 
Uh, the number you threw out about $27 million while you were looking, uh, I Googled it and Google says that Marshall's athletic budget right now is just shy of 32 million. I figured so, it had gone up, you know, still they in don't... that ballpark, but, um, probably what 10, 15% higher than that figure that, that you yeah. just threw out there. But still, I mean, these are not, you know, this is not my monthly household budget we're talking about here. This is right. multi-million dollars. This is a big yeah. deal. Um, it's not a job that I would feel comfortable taking over, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you have guys like um, Brad Smith and uh, Christian Spears now heading the athletic department, undoubtedly they are in circles of people who can eat, sleep, and breathe these decisions yeah. like it's second nature. So um, I don't know where this will come from. I like the idea that you said that maybe some of these responsibilities get broken up into multiple people, which is easily um, – you could easily see that happening. Sure. But who, whoever um, is, is put into this office or even if the title changes – Whoever it becomes the the next David Steele in, in by office, um, I suspect will be a vastly talented individual. A vastly talented. Individual. I would I would have to agree with that, um, and we sure hope so, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I sure hope. So. And I can't get off of this topic without saying uh, thank you, Mister Steele, for twenty seven years of faithful service to Marshall University. You've provided me personally with countless count not thousands countless good memories um happy times you know things like that molded me as a uh, student and a young adult and a adult adult you know so uh the decisions that you made um directly affected uh my fandom and my um my uh i don't know what you want to call it. my my this my sense of um shoot i can't think of i hate when i lose the word i'm trying to think of but uh, I don't know, whatever. You've made me a Marshall fan for life. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and I think uh, we can't get off this subject either without mentioning this is a great time to say, join the big green. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, we're talking about a $32 million budget or just shy of $32 million. Uh, Obviously, they're not trying to cover that by, you know, people donating 50 bucks or whatever, but all that money goes to the scholarship athletes and frees up that money for their athletic budget. Yeah. And it, it, I was planning on talking about that again here in a little bit when we will, we will. In, inevitably we will. talk about the green and white game, sure. but still yeah. uh, what's number four on the agenda this week. All right. Uh, this was uh, pretty cool. Uh, Allie Harrell uh, is the herd softball 2022 warrior award winner uh, named after Emily Cooper. Um, that was uh, given out. I think it was Saturday. Could have been Friday. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it was Saturday though. Yeah. It was at the, uh, uh, the third, the, the, the series finale. That's what I was going for. The series yeah. finale game. I don't know. They must've played. No, they played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. And I was thinking it yeah. was Friday and a doubleheader like the baseball team, but yeah, it was on Saturday. That was Emily Cooper day. Um, I, <laughs> I got freed up in time to turn on the ESPN plus feed just in time to see the mercy run get scored. And it was, the yeah, game was over. And I was home. like, damn yeah. it, man. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was ready to settle in and watch some of that game. <laughs> and it's like, as soon as the feed popped up, it was like, I saw one pitch and the home, like the, the mercy run was scored. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. But uh, <laughs> yeah, super cool. Allie Harrell, um, probably going to go down as one of the best ever to play softball for Marshall university. Um, so congratulations to her. I know, you know, we come from certain, um, 
student organizations where we have awards as well. And it was awards like this that go beyond like that meant more to uh, than like um, like MVP or player yeah. of the year, you know, because that's a measurable stat that yeah. you can do. So it's these type of awards that are like these memorial awards that are, you know, I don't know how this is voted upon. Maybe it's a team vote, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they seem to carry a little bit more weight because they are um, like awarded by your peers. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. So congratulations to her. Well-deserved for sure. Yeah. And number five, to finish up the five things you need to know, the quarterback club's bowling event fundraiser is Friday. We'll be uh, posting this, you know, Monday, Tuesday, early in the week. So when you're hearing this, just keep in mind, it's this Friday coming up day before the green and white game. Yeah. What is the date Friday? 22nd or something like that? 22nd. Yeah. So there you go. The celebrity bowlathon will be Friday, uh, April 22nd. We read off the laundry list. It's a real who's who of uh, yeah. former herd players and coaches and current coaches. Um, some of them are double dipping like Ralph street, former yeah. player and current coach. So yep. um, if you can, you know, make your way and to get involved in that, I would suggest that you do it. It's probably going to be a hell of a fun time. Um, and of course on the back end of that, you got the green and white game the next day. So excellent segue, Russ killer five things this week. Um, so let's transition into the news of the week, right? It's week three began or the third week of spring football began this past week. And we kind of got a little bit of, we know a little bit more about the herd and that's kind of what it's all about. You know, it's, it's, it's very much a fluid situation, very much a influx and a learning on the fly type deal until we get into summer. But, um, you know, right now you're just hoping to see some, good progressions you're you're hoping to see some guys get it and uh quote of the week for me that i heard from coach huff is now he said now we know who can do what right so they know what these guys who they can count on in what situations like what they can do and what they can't do now it's a matter of them processing the information and putting their ability in motion um that's 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 good stuff we talked about a lot about the young players coming along talked about uh, some of the guys that have been here continuing to progress. Again, we're back on the theme of um, the defense being a tick above the offense because there's so much youth and uh, at so many positions that the defense doesn't have that uh, as bad. You know, we return a lot along the defensive line. We return a lot in the linebacking core, and there are some dudes uh, that are in the secondary that have been here for a while. So – uh, they played all of those guys who played a lot of football together. Offensively, we're a little bit behind, um, you know, the the defense. There's a lot of new across the offensive line still. Um, there's there's some new look in the backfield, obviously. Some young wide receivers are trying to make some noise. So you expect that. You you expect the consistency to be there more so from the defense than the offense at this point. But we're still seeing and hearing about progression. And that's basically what it's all about. If you wanted to hear some, you know, kind of the, you know, I need to hear something, right? You can't just tell me that. I got to hear about some particular players. Like we need to know what the hell our damn quarterback situation's looking like. And we need yeah. to know who's starting to rise above and all that kind of stuff. Well, Coach Huff uh, echoed some of, the sa- some of the same things that we had expected we would hear and some of the same things we heard from week two, 
Uh, Cam Fancher continues to take steps, continues to make the leap. He has solidified basically himself at this point as your leader in the clubhouse of QB1, which we all thought was going to be the case. Um, because we can also put a star beside that point because Henry Columbia is still not enrolled and will not be taken in, mm-hmm. you know, be a part, be an active participant in the quote, quote unquote quarterback battle until the summer. Right. Yeah. But as of right now, through the spring, your number one leader in the clubhouse is Cam Fancher. Um, and <clears throat> the, the thing I found interesting was, you know, we talked about uh, last week that uh, Cade Cunningham was kind of nipping at the heels as uh, the number two guy uh, this, at that point during, during the spring. And well, this week, Coach Huff said that it's a real uh, – he was using a golf reference talking about this stuff. It's like, okay, we're on the back nine. There's a dogfight going on on the back nine for QB2 between um, Cunningham and Harrison and Zamora, you know. Um, it's just that Cunningham still got a little bit of a leg up because Harrison and Zamora are trying to process all this information and all these new looks, and it's not a high school game anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? Guys are faster. You got to play with a little more anticipation. You got to be able to make your decisions quicker, and, and it's very much a learning process. But, but um, they're getting it. I mean, they're getting it. That's what you want to hear. They're getting it. So, how are you feeling? You know, we I get on here and I talk a lot about the spring football. And I don't go, we don't go back and forth a lot about, you know, just general discussion, but I mean, I have you here. Um, If you're a, if, I mean, not that you're a listener, but you're listening to me say this stuff. So when I talk about these quarterbacks, what is, what is it saying to you? What are you hearing that you like or that you're kind of concerned with, or, you know, cause it's, it, I need to know, you know, what you're feeling as well. Like what here's a concern. Yeah, really. Cam Fancher is a lefty. Yeah, you know, I which think, I how did think, I not know that until today? I, oh, you didn't? <laughs> no, I did well, not know uh, that. So I got a look at him last year uh, at the end of the uh, the one game uh, that he came in, and he was throwing absolute missiles, you know, and that's when, uh, you know, everyone was like, you know, we were up, we were crushing them, why were we throwing bombs, and what could have happened. Yeah. But he was a lefty. He's got a good arm. Um, obviously, you can't get a good look at, mop-up duty you know what somebody could do and maybe they weren't even you know i don't know uh but the very first thing that stood out obviously is he's left-handed you know a lot of people i don't think think about this but you know the blind side is going to be where you put you know possibly your best left uh your best tackle not your left tackle normally it is left tackle because more often than not you've got a uh, right-handed quarterback but right. you know that could change where your wide receivers are that could change where your offensive line makeup is and if there is a battle and we're trying to get reps and he's the leader and then all of a sudden he's not I'm not saying with Columbia or Cunningham or Zamora or whatever whomever gets this if he does not is going to be right-handed so yeah. to me that is a concern that we have a lefty versus righty battle and there's some uncertainty going into the summer over, you know, what that will do to, you know, I mean, all your plays. I mean, you know, well, your plays, but also it's, it's, does it cause a shakeup along the offensive line? You got guys that start settling Mm -hmm. into playing right tackle. Right. right? Okay. Well, shit. What if I got to play left tackle now? And you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. So I don't know how this, 
went beyond me. I had no idea that he was a lefty until Huff was talking about how he's more comfortable making certain rollouts and, you know, makes sense to me, you know, because yeah. you know, nobody wants to roll out and throw across their body. I mean, I'm right. sure some quarterbacks yeah. do, but they're not as, as uh, accurate with it most of the time. So you're obviously more comfortable rolling, you know, <clears throat> to your natural side. Yeah. And you've got drag plays across the middle and things like yeah. that. You know, if you're going to be, in the pocket, you're going to be, if you're a lefty, you're moving to the left. Well, then the tight end's going to drag across, you know, the field that way. Everything is going to change when a right-hander is back there. If he, if right now we are having all the first team reps or whatever with a lefty, it's a concern of mine. I don't, I'm not hugely worried about it. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that I know who is going to be the, the quarterback, <laughs> you know, but um, at this point, it's a, it's a minor concern. Yeah, I would say that's a that's a fair point. Uh, it, it's just one of those things when you're looking at when you're dissecting every little aspect. That's obviously something you're going to dissect because you want everything to go right, right? And you're thinking, "Geez, man, we don't need a late summer session shakeup because we've been practicing with a left-handed quarterback, and now he goes down, and we've got to reshuffle the offensive line. All these guys are used to running these routes a certain way, and you know they expect the ball to land in their hands with spinning one way, and now it's spinning the other way. Yeah. You know, it's just weird stuff, uh, but it's all a good point. Um. Well, we talked uh, to that note, we touched on, you know, uh, some guys we talked about were could be our instant impact players, our top five guys that could be instant impact players. And some of those guys translated over into uh, the news of the week with spring football, um, per- particularly a guy that you taught. Well, I think we both talked about you had him ranked higher than me was Brian Robinson, wide receiver, Brian Robinson, Florida State transfer. Um Coach, I've talked about that they're trying him out at multiple wide receiver positions because they're not exactly sure where they can, uh, where he can shine the most, right? Mm-hmm. So is, is he going to be a slot guy? Is he going to be an outside guy? All that kind of stuff. So uh, we talked about how he's a real, uh, he's got, he's a real, I'm sorry, he's a, he's a real burner. He's a real uh, talented guy. He's got nice, strong hands. They want to just be able to put him in the best position to exploit his uh, talent, you know, and uh, maybe make some super impact plays for the herd. And w- so if he's getting reps to the point to where they're trying him out all over the field, I think that's a good call on our part about being a potential instant impact player for this yeah, year. Definitely, definitely. Uh, a younger guy that that came in that I talked about last year, I thought might break in and didn't get the opportunity. Another wide receiver, Caleb Coombs. He's talking about him. Probably has the best ten yard burst on this team. He said when he gets the ball in his hands, he can get a lot of feet in the ground in that first ten yards. Um, has lethal change of direction. So in my head, I'm thinking, all right, this is uh, this is the kind of guy that you were talking about to a degree where you might. You may call that the possession receiver. When you yeah, catch but the it's short a possession pass. possession yes. with yards after completion. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's a five yard pass that goes fifteen or twenty because you can get in the ground so fast and make a move. You know, so um, it's and all you know, about. We always think about, and I mean, you know, we're Marshall, but we cannot compare people. Obviously, well, and I, I am not to Randy Moss. <laughs> you know, but but do you remember uh, the plays of? And I'm not talking about a jailbreak screen or a bubble screen, but you know, within the five yards where yeah. he would be coming across, it wasn't just him; it was other people in our playbook where we'd hit them on a slant, and then they would just eat up 
the defensive backs, the linebackers and everything with their speed, with their looseness, cutting, that sort of thing. So it would be good to stretch the field without having to throw the the go routes and the bombs and things like that by having a lot of yards after catch. So. I agree, and I think that is something that we will be able to see on several fronts with a healthy Talik Keaton. He is great at that. Yeah, great at that. That's why he's a good um, punt returner. Yeah, I mean the the shiftiness, the speed, the the just get away is all world with this dude when he's healthy. So if we have multiple of those guys and they're all in the field at the same time, again, it's just pick your poison. Um, if you can get to the get to your spot and you make it so easy on the quarterback that he knows my guys are going to be where they're supposed to be. I just got to get the ball there. I just got to get it in the neighborhood. You know, that's what you really want. A bunch of guys that you just got to get it in the neighborhood. So I like to hear the fact that there are some wide receivers emerging. We already know about the gamages and the Ameds and, and the uh, <clears throat> uh, Keatons and stuff. So these younger guys, these transfers, these guys are looking to get their opportunity. I'm digging it, man. I'm, I'm really digging it. Uh, defensively, a guy that I talked about, I told you that um, – like stood out for me from a couple of shows ago was defensive back Jacoby Henderson, young guy coming in fresh um, talking about how uh, Huff said he, he played up against the Corey Gamages of the world. Like he did receivers of his own age. If you remember that. Mm -hmm. So somebody had asked the question, like what's the defensive backfield looking or the def yeah, the defensive backfield looking like, um, you know, cause uh, we know what Gilmore brings to the table. We know what Micah Abraham is going to bring to the table in a much hopefully much larger role. I've been a Micah Abraham fan since he was a freshman. And uh, I know he had some some bumps in the road as far as like injury and things so that uh, kind of slowed the progression. But uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do this year if he can remain healthy. I think he's just a total impact player. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him on the field with Gilmore. Um, but Huff said that uh, Henderson is one of those guys. He's in those top four-ish corners that's really making a name for himself right now. I mean, young dude. So I, I dig that. Um, right now, if you got a name four, it's it's got to be Gilmore Henderson, uh, Abraham, and and Joshua Bowers, who's played a lot of ball for the herd. So if you got three guys that have played a whole lot of snaps for Marshall in various situations, very com various combinations of themselves excuse me themselves and other guys that have departed for whatever reason and you're that fourth guy who's a young dude yeah i love it i love what this guy is is potentially bringing to the table um if, there's probably not i don't know i mean i'm not a sunbelt expert yet and i don't know that i ever will be but i'm finding it hard to believe that there is a roster of wide receivers and tight ends that is going to compare with marshall's roster up and down from top to bottom so if you've got it, if you're a defensive back on our team and you're guarding those guys, I find it hard to believe that you are going to be out talented by another team from top to bottom. I just that find is, that hard to believe. That's an interesting point. And that brings up something that I wanted to talk about that Huff said with regards to our offensive line that yeah. going up against our destructive and violent defensive line and he stressed he said we would be the most disruptive uh destructive defensive line he said i'm not saying the best i'm not saying would have the best stats and whatever but they would be the most disruptive 
And for he commented on the offensive line going up against them in practice, you know, that iron sharpens iron mentality and um, that this offensive line was probably getting a baptism by fire, not his words, but of going up against them every week that it would prepare them for anyone else in our league because of the nature of the schemes and and the talent and size that these guys have. Yeah, it's, a, it's a interesting you bring up the defensive line because I want to use them as a point that I should have brought up when we were talking about quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about the fact that these young quarterbacks have to go up against, you know, the uh, Kobe Cumberlanders, the Owen Porters of the world, the Taquas Legs, the um, – <clears throat> the um, I'm sorry, Isaiah Gibsons of the world, you know, these guys that have – been in this thing and they're and he used the term they're they they have to process in the fire these young quarterbacks you know these guys aren't taking it easy on them because i mentioned uh about i don't remember exactly what i said but at some point you're going to be in a very inopportune moment and do you want to be learning on the fly at that moment or do you want to have already have had that happen in practice and i think that's what we're seeing that's exactly what he's talking about these guys are getting um, they're, they're, they're just kind of like, they're not letting up. They're not taking it easy because they're young quarterbacks. They're like, all right, mm-hmm. young. And if you can get through it here, then you're going to be able to get through it on game day. You know, that's kind of where it's at. So along those lines, uh, I mentioned Isaiah Gibson, the UK transfers guy you mentioned. Um, Huff said he's a very, very, very versatile defensive lineman as a guy. You can tell this played a lot of ball at this level. Um, and whether he played a lot of game game action with UK, I have no idea. But you can tell with those guys that it's all about, again, how many times we have to talk about it, the, the college conditioning program, the summer workouts, the practices, like everything at this level. The game for a lot of these incoming freshmen, of course, is so fast because they're used to playing high school ball. And for guys like Isaiah Gibson, it's not that fast because they're used to playing at this speed. So um, another potential big-time instant impact player, good call on that one, Russ. A guy, <clears throat> one last note I'm going to make uh, is about the defensive backfield. Uh, most, well, more so the safety position, which if you'll recall was a big concern for me. And uh, Coach Huff addressed that for me. Uh, not personally, obviously, but he addressed the issue. <laughs> he addressed well, the issue. Maybe it and, was. Maybe well, it no, was. yeah, you never know. <laughs> but uh, he talked about Andre Sam as a guy I told you I was very excited about. And yeah. uh, he compared him actually to Corey McCoy, who both those guys came from McNeese State. Both of them played for Coach Gidry. He mentioned that Sam was recruited by Gidry as a freshman, and then he came to, you know, left the McNeese. So now they're reunited, so he gives him a leg up a little bit in in the defensive drills and making waves. He knows the defense a little bit better and yada, yada. He made a point to say that he's very much in the mold of a Corey McCoy, except he's also bigger. So, hey, Corey McCoy, very impactful player for us last year. Now you get a bigger version of that. He said he had a phenomenal um, interception at the goal line and took it 96 the other way in a flash. So – 
a lot of what I told you guys the other uh, on the other episode was like this, some of these highlight plays were like, hey, all right, this guy's got a knack for it, right? And now we're seeing that in spring ball here. And you know, if you start to see it here and you start to see it there, and it and it also pops up somewhere else, well, it's probably not a fluke. This dude can probably just play. So, um, my 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 concerns of safety, while not diminished, or, or I'm sorry, while not vanished, are a little bit diminished um because he also talked about the austin p transfer isaiah norman being very much in the brandon drayton mold um <laughs> he's saying i hope he's saying all the right things to help put my mind at ease so where are you at defensively i know you talk about the the uh, defensive line you like where they're at what 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 are you feeling about the rest of this defense I'll tell you exactly what I was thinking that I was getting ready to say, and it had to do with defense and and a little bit more on offense too. But when Huff was interviewing here, he basically said and and outlined that not necessarily the Alabama way, but, you know, it was for his exposure to it, that players are, a certain size, you know, if you have a linebacker, you know, you recruit a certain size or whatever, there's, you know, a, a size and weight. And, you know, we talked about Isaiah Gibson, 6'3", 302. Think of back in the day, you know, when Doc had the teams that, you know, were smaller on defense and everything. Uh, That's one of the things when, when Huff got here, that was like, you know, we're undersized in some positions, you know, we want our defensive backs to be a little taller. We want our uh, defensive line to be a little taller. I think we are looking at a very good sized team on defense. Obviously, you don't win in height, but you know, uh, longer arms makes it harder to throw over the uh, defensive line. Um, you know, bigger bodies for run stopping. I think we're going to have a good defensive team. And I think it's because we've gotten some of these impact players in here, transfers and things like that. We've sized up and uh, we've got some depth, I think, is something that hurt us last year in several key positions was depth. I think uh, I think he attacked that in the offseason, getting some transfers in here. And I think we're going to look pretty strong defensively. I'm tending to agree with you. And if you look, you know, you mentioned height, you mentioned, I mean, you can, you can't teach height, first of all, you, right. you, obviously. So, you know, it, it, go, it, it, it just stands to reason that if you're taller and you, you have the same athletic ability, someone at six, two, as someone that's five, nine, well, give me the six, two guy, right? Because sure. he can just his, his impact radius is much bigger. His arms are longer, his legs are longer, yada, yada, yada. So just, just that's the way of the world. All right. But you look just at safety um, across the board. There's like six or seven listed at safety right now. Historically, you're right. It's been a shorter position, you know, pushing six feet, but not quite there. Now it's six, one, five, 10, six, one, six, two, six, two, six, two, six, two, six, two. Uh, that's a big difference. You know, even if it is just two or three inches, um, I'll take it, especially if they yeah. move like a younger or like a smaller. If you're guy. going up against a six-three wide receiver, exactly. you don't want to have a five-ten guy. I don't care how good he is at covering. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have success, but I think Huff is doing exactly what he said. This was during his interview, by the way. Yeah. Um, 
he he said you know as part of his plan is you know we have we recruit guys one of it was uh the ring you know the circle uh you know own the ring yeah, the 300 uh, mile radius here. yeah but also it was had to do with size at the positions and everything and i think he's doing it yeah i'm looking here right now on defensive backs uh, <laughs> so was i yeah i was ATL gonna i was gonna Swift ask you before uh, six, you three before you cheat, before you cheat, I was going to say, when you think defensive back in your head, you know, everybody kind of has that, um, you know, that stock height weight when you think about a position, right? Yeah. So what, when you think of a defensive back, what do you think? What comes into your head? What measurable right off Usually the Usually is like 5'11", and I think, you know, like 200 pounds, somewhere around there. And usually the – I don't want defensive backs to get mad at me, but you know, you've heard of a lot of people is like, well, he played wide receiver, but he, he's just not as good of a wide receiver on route running or catching whatever it might be. So they put him at defensive back because he was a hell of an athlete. Yeah. But I always think that, you know, if you're six, three, they're still going to put you at wide receiver, you know, <laughs> uh, and here we've got a bunch of six, two, six, three guys yeah. that are going to be playing defensive back. So yeah. I, size for me, I think we've leveled up, you know? Well, I don't think that's, uh, out, I, that's, that's not, um, up for debate. <laughs> yeah. It's just not up for debate. I it's mean, a you fact. Look at we it, have leveled up in, in size. Yeah. Yes. There is exactly of the current defensive backs on the roster there. There are exactly, one listed under six foot and he's five eleven. Yeah. Now, you know, these are also football rosters. How accurate are they? Everybody's a little bit taller and a little bit bigger than they actually are, but so what? I mean, if you're going to take it at face value, you're looking at six two, six two, six two, six three, six two, six two, five eleven, six three defensive yeah. backs. That I already talked about the safeties. So we're talking about something totally different here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have sized up. That's that's and there, you know, you this goes across many positions. It's not just the secondary there. So um I don't know. I I, I think we're heading in the right direction. I think, you know, Huff mentioned that we needed to change the makeup of the roster a little bit as we head into the Sun Belt because um it wasn't exactly allocated the way that he would like it when he inherited the team. And each coach allocates a certain number of positions, you know, that that's what they want. That's how they like to do how they like to build their team. And of course, it's going to take a couple of years for you to get there. You just can't come in and knock 25 dudes off your roster and expect to replace that impact just mm -hmm. because you need a couple of extra inches or one less defensive lineman and one more offensive lineman, you know, you, and you can't to, get them all in one off season. No, you have to let the attrition take place. You have yeah. to let the natural flow of things take place. You have to let eligibilities exhaust and build your team a little bit organically, but the portal does help, you know? So I think we're, you know, in this, in this college football world, you could get there faster than you could before, you know, because before you get a transfer, you got to set for a year. Now, well, now mm -hmm. you don't usually have to do that. So you can fast track that a little bit. And I think we're on the way to doing that. So, uh, Russ, <clears throat> spring football. Last thing we're going to talk about about spring football, of course, is the culmination of spring football, which is the green and white game. We mentioned it in passing there a little bit ago when you did your five things every herd fans need to know this week. Um, talking about the celebrity bowlathon, but Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. Is the green and white game tailgating? Big deal. Know you're pumped Eight. for that. 
84 degrees, no rain. No Perfect. rain. Yeah. What's your excuse? I mean, unless you got to work. I mean, I do, but uh, maybe I don't. I don't know. But I'm a thousand miles away. That's my excuse. <laughs> real Great fans would be bus. there, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Real, <laughs> real fan would be there. Um, yeah. Get out to the green and white game. Five bucks for the ticket to get in. Westlot parking, 20 bucks. Um, of course, this is a quarterback club fundraiser. We all know that. We covered it last time. So get out there, get a little football, uh, get excited for the season, get your first tailgate of the year going on, have a good time, um, all that good stuff. But not sliding through the cracks announced was the athletic department's having its equipment sale for the first time in God knows how many years, 2017 maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't mean, it's been a long time. I, don't I know think how long. that I think that's what they said was 2017. Yeah, it's a long time. So first time you're going to be able to get your hands on jerseys and equipment, probably shoes, like whatever. It's whatever they got available, it's going to be available. Um it's uh, you, May 7th, Saturday, May 7th. Saturday, May 7th. I mean, get ready for that. Save up a little extra coin. Noon. Yeah, if, if, noon. Yeah. if you're not there by if you're not in line at seven o'clock, then you know, good luck because uh, I was at the last one. It was a mad dash. You know, I was in line early and there was already people there when I got there and I was an hour early. There was a line there already. And it uh, it was in the client center before, just like the last time. I'm assuming it's going to be the same way. And they opened the doors and it was just like the mad dash, man, for, you know, whatever people wanted. So if you're expecting to oh, roll in there at 1030 and check it, what's that? There won't be anything left. There will be some stuff left, but you're not. You're probably not going to get anything that you're hoping to get at 10:30. If you're not there, ready to go in the door when the doors open, your likelihood of getting something that you are coveting is basically zero. So save a little extra money, plan for it on that Saturday, and get there if you can. Russ, let's take it around the herd. Start us off. Did you want to? Uh talk about the uh coaching staff oh yeah dude so totally forgot about that the this week's top top we're going to take it down to top three um top three coaching changes on huff's coaching staff this off season leading into the 2022 season yep only three uh, i don't want to do five that's a lot so what's your number three my number three is uh chavis jackson hired as defensive backs coach and you have talked about defensive backs. Yeah. This guy played in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been uh, that other, uh, you know, coach in that position before. But if you play it good enough to play in the NFL, I think you can teach it. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm excited to have him in that position, working with these guys of this phenomenal height that we just talked about. I think that uh, that's going to be a, a big move for us. And I, I hope that I can call back to this moment saying that toward the, you know, sometime halfway point of the year and say, I think, I think I was right. I'm hoping, 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 but that, that number three for me. Here's, here's my deal with this top three list is okay. I am so I, I'm too nervous to talk about hires because, uh, you know, you don't know how those will go. Now, granted, I, I think that the, the Chevis Jackson hire was a good hire. And people will look at that and go, dude, he came from Kansas. They're terrible. Well, I mean, doesn't mean you don't have great coaches there. You're I just think Kansas, I, less but miles. I'm, 
But I'm just saying that I think they're that Kansas is in a very unique position that they're just probably never going to be competitive in football in the Big 12. They're just too far behind the eight. They were good like 15 years ago for like two years. Yeah. You know, and, and that was it. But and Travis Le- Jackson played at LSU for Les Miles. And when Les Miles was at Kansas, he took him there. That's why he was at Kansas. It's not like he was so bad only kansas wanted him i understand but your average fan or or somebody is you know is going to look at that and go kansas really well yeah you know because it's not always about where you came from it's like you said how you got there he had a relationship with the previous head coach and that's how you land there so um but here's here's my thing i do think that's a great a great point but i'm just i'm i want to be able to talk about the hires at the end of the year when I can reevaluate and see exactly how done. So spoiler alert, all of my top three are, you know, either departures or changes like okay. within the, within the staff. So number three for me is uh, Mike Villagrana hired by Virginia tech. He was the general manager of the herd coaching staff and was a recruiting stud for the herd. Like a, a lot of the guys that came through last year, you know, what were always tagging Villagrana in uh, mm-hmm. in the tweets um he was he was just like a workhorse you know as in that gm role something that i was like really like when that was kind of set up that way and you have a gm and you have all this stuff like we, we never had that before you know and then i kind of saw how it settled in and how it worked out and i was like man this guy's a superstar i was really hoping that he was going to be here for a couple of years i understand that uh you know when when quote unquote, bigger opportunities come along, you got to take those. If they're going to throw more money at you or whatever the case may be, or you think that's just a better opportunity or personally, it just fits what you want to do better then do it, you know? Mm -hmm. But I was really hoping that that guy was going to be here for two or three years before somebody perked up and went, yeah, we got to get that guy because he's a freaking superstar. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that for me is, is number, number three. Well, we didn't plan this. But uh, my number two is the hiring of Mark Vodler from Alabama to replace uh, him as the general manager. Yeah. And I think if you're going to go somewhere, why not why Alabama? Not yep. <laughs> you know, um, so I agree with you. Uh, you know, he was a workhorse and, you know, he was in every tweet being thanked, like you said. But um, if if we're talking about, you know, Huff has brought up kind of the Alabama way and stuff like that. Why not bring somebody from there right. to be the, the general manager? I, I don't think that this is something, you know, you're going to see it's behind the scenes and, and all that stuff. But uh, I'm hoping that by this time next year, we're going to say, Hey, nothing fell off and hopefully, you know, it got better. Yeah. So uh, he, he was my number two. I, I mean, I tend to agree with that, too. A lot of these things you may not see in the forefront. It, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that sets up the successes that other guys, you know, if we're talking about getting tagged in tweets, maybe it's not the GM that's getting tagged in those anymore. Maybe he's setting up all the behind-the-scenes stuff that makes it possible for Clint Trickett to get, you know, tagged in that tweet from this yeah. you know, quarterback or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, you're right. You got a previous relationship with the guy because Huff comes from Alabama. You know that the dude is he 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 obviously fits the bill of what you need to be done. Mm-hmm. And you're able to pull him from those ranks and and elevate his position a little bit and give him a little bit more responsibility and the keys to the car a little bit and say, here, go drive the big green truck for a little while and let's see what you can do with it. 
Excellent pick. Number two for me is uh, defensive backs coach Dominic Bowman being hired by Arkansas because I think I, I truly think that that guy's going to be a head coach sooner than later. I think he has all the makings of being a head coach. He is a teacher in every sense of the word teacher. Uh, he was a phenomenal position coach. I think it's it's just a matter of time before he becomes a defensive coordinator and then just another short amount of time before he gets that first crack at head coach. I think that highly of Dominic Bowman. Uh, that was a big blow for me, and it, it goes right along with you, you know, you and the hiring of Chevis Jackson. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, Dominic Bowman, man, what a, what a superstar coach to, to go. Another young one that I hoped we would have for at least two or three years. Um, at least the first year in the Sun Belt. I wanted most of these guys, this nucleus, to stay in place to to get through that first year in the Sun Belt. But you know, it is Who what knows? it is. Maybe he's on a list to come back here. And you know, I mean, you don't you don't know. You, I mean, he's never not on a list because he was on the first list to be here. So yeah, you know, um, yeah, he could be a guy that you could see back in Kelly Green as a defensive coordinator. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely, you could. But it's really hard to turn down the um sec when they come calling i mean that's just that's just money you can't go yeah you know what i'll wait (laughs) i mean uh, i don't know what the dollar figure was but i'm sure it was substantially higher than what you're going to get in huntington it it is what it is so number one my number one is clint trickett to offensive coordinator and qb coach i've got a feeling you're the same so let's just uh let's just talk about it yeah well what about it (laughs) well so I, um, I'm excited, you know, for, you know, I think we're going to open it up a little bit. I think, uh, the, the one thing that might, uh, might hurt us a little bit is, uh, the uncertainty at quarterback is the only thing, uh, for year one, but I think we're going to open it up a little bit. Uh, I think having him as a designated QB coach is as exciting for me as having him as the offensive coordinator. Um, But I think that we're going to have an explosive offense, at least attempting, you know, uh, execution is something that we can't control, but I think that we're going to, we're going to go for it. I think we're going to try to stretch the field. And I think that having a QB coach here for these young developing quarterbacks is paramount. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously number one for me as well. And there's a lot of stuff surrounding that, you know, because now you're, you're right. It's a whole new quarterback. I would probably feel a little bit differently about it. It would still probably be number one for me, even if Grant Wells was still here, but the fact that it's new offensive coordinator, new slash quarterback coach, all new quarterbacks, you know, with the exception of Cam Fancher, it's, 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 got to be your number one it's the biggest storyline going right now uh for the for the coaching carousel a year ago maybe year and a half ago there are a lot of fans going glad that uh you know huff decided to keep tim cramsey um you know and then and now those same fans midway through the season were like we gotta do something else now you never know whose fault that is let's say several years ago everybody wanted bill leg fired Right? right, because the offense was sputtering, it just wasn't working. And everybody was blaming Bill Leg. Everybody was blaming Bill Leg. And then when we went through the cycle, it was like, well, this was all holiday because you know he wanted he he wanted to just run, run, run. He didn't want him to open it up. Didn't want him to move with tempo, whatever, whatever. So 
all these, all the blame game just constantly going. Mm -hmm. And we as fans are never going to fully know exactly what goes on in those rooms because that's just not for public consumption. Uh, but what we do know is Tim Cramsey is now the offensive coordinator at Memphis. And instead of going out and trying to find somebody, Coach Huff was like, hey, you know what? I like We got tricking. the guy right here. Well, not only that, but we got – yes, we do got the guy here. But not only that, the aforementioned Bill Legg, oh, by the way, is also on staff. And he's right. also been an offensive coordinator before. Mm -hmm. So um, Clint Trickett gets elevated from wide receivers coach slash passing game coordinator a year ago to – quarterbacks coach slash offensive coordinator this year and i'm i'm with you i mean they're i'm excited about it i'm excited about what we can do the the potential that we have there with all these weapons in the backfield rasheen ali's ability to just gash you on the ground and catch the ball out of the backfield coach huff's talking about laborn being able to catch the ball out of the backfield really effectively so that's another wrinkle in the game for the herd um it's no shortage of weapons. The tight end room is pretty, pretty talented as well. So there's no shortage of viable options for this offense. It can basically look however they want it to look. If the passing game ain't working, man, you got great runners there that can bruise you mm -hmm. to death and, and put it on the ground and get it in the end zone. If the run game isn't working, then you can run just enough to keep everybody honest. And hopefully it opens up and you can gash people across the field with all these wide receivers and tight ends. But this has got to be the number one. Uh, some, some folks will go, well, Trickett's been an offensive coordinator before. It was at FAU, and they really weren't that great. But I would say if you think that Lane Kiffin's not calling plays on his own team, then you're fooling yourself. So if the offense wasn't doing as spectacularly as you'd think it should while he was at FAU, I would more likely blame that on Kiffin than I would Trickett. Yeah. yeah, plus, um, you know, it's apples to oranges on the weapons and personnel that are at these places. You know, uh, he didn't recruit his guys and have four years to have them there and then put his system into place. You know, he showed up and was the the guy and he had to do what he had. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, I mean, if, if this is it, this is it. It, it, a lot of the season will hinge on how this works out, like the quarterback, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach relationship and the effectiveness of uh, how this offense is run and the ball is getting moved. So excellent top three this week. I like this one. I'm, I'm glad we did that one. That was pretty, that was pretty fun. So now Russ, take us around the herd. <laughs> Who right. do you want to start with? Uh, basketball. Okay. Camden Kerfman. Came from VMI. We talked about him. Um, he was not the designated point guard for them. I know we had talked about, you know, point guard was their number one priority. Uh, there were two guards from VMI, and the one that is more of a true point guard is not the guy, Bonham. Trey Bonham was not the guy that signed with us. Uh, both of them were very similar. This guy uh, can play point, uh, but he hits around 40% from three. And yeah, which I think uh, is what Dan Tony wants to see. It is needed, very <laughs> much needed. Um, this is going to allow um, Kenzie to not be a shooting guard. He can go back to the three. Uh, he's a matchup nightmare there for people. I mean, he's he's a matchup nightmare, nightmare for a lot of different positions. If you remember when he was a true freshman, we played him power forward just to get him on the on the floor. Um, but I think this will allow our offense to be dynamic. And anytime you got somebody hitting 40% uh, 
and 80 plus percent from free throw, you know, that's a heck of a pickup. He was yeah. around 15 and a half, almost 16 points a game. Um, should be coming in, starting, and making an impact immediately. Oh, no doubt. This is this guy doesn't come here and not start. He, he is right. on the floor. Yep. Uh, let's do the measurables real quick. Comes in six foot, one hundred eighty-six pounds. He's got two years left to play, so it's not just a one and done. If things are going great, you know we're gonna be able to uh, use him as an integral part of the transition out of the Tavon Tavion Kinsey era because Kinsey's got one year left. So, you know, you get one year of them two together with Andy Taylor and the rest of the guys, and then you have to find that next kind of impact player to rise above and take on the role that uh, Kenzie has um, been in for so long. So that's good. Having two years is great. Now, you mentioned that he averages about he averaged about 15 and a half points a game at VMI. Also correct. Here's some cool stats that I picked up along the way. You did mention he hits almost 40% from three-point, which is awesome. Um, these are the cool stats, right? I, I don't know how, where I saw these, but 117 made three pointers last year, which was second in all of division one. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't make you perk up and go hell to the, yeah, then I yeah. don't know what you're expecting. You guys like that. That is Dan, Dan, Tony's wheelhouse. I need and a guy I, who can shoot the lights out. I bet one of the stats that you're going to bring up, uh, maybe even next, but from where he shot. Yes. Them, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, Led the most points, points scored from the 26 foot mark. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they had, I don't know who the, what the Twitter account was, but they had all the increments like, you mm-hmm. know, 10 feet, 11, 12, 14, all the way up. And he was, he led the nation in the 26 foot mark. Also, Kinsey led the nation from the 12 foot mark. So yeah. you got two scores leading the country in particular ranges from the basket. I don't know what that says about what this team could be, but that's just cool. That's just a cool And for those stat. of you that are trying to think about where this shot is coming from, um, 22 feet, nine inches is – that's NBA. I, I think know. it's 20, 20 feet, nine inches. No, maybe 22, nine might be uh, NCAA now. I, I, they've moved them over yeah. the past few years and everything, but uh, 26 feet is back there no matter yeah. what. Anyway, yeah. you slice it, it's well behind yeah. the arc. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, if if he led the nation, uh, I don't think it was like six points from that feet mark, you know? So, <laughs> I, yeah, we've got yeah. a what could be a deadly shooter, and uh, our biggest uh, three point threat, um, Taylor was kind of streaky this year. Uh, Serenich was streaky, but when he could shoot it, Serenich was that guy, and you know he's playing the four. So yeah. you could have you know, a one slash two guy and a four guy, you know, both hitting around 40%, that could light up the scoreboard and open it up. Well, it's going to have to, right? Because Marshall is obviously, this is like the stupidest take of all time, but Marshall's much better when they're hitting shots. <laughs> but <laughs> Can I you, quote you on that? <laughs> right? But you, you go back and look at the tournament team. You had That's a t-shirt. So, so many guys that could just shoot the lights out. That's how you make it to the tournament. You don't rely on one guy to get you there. And yeah. I know that was the stupidest take of all time, but I said that to say that you're, you're a tournament team when you've got four or five guys that can hit shots consistently 
all over the place. Please, ever, a more I stupid, <laughs> a more stupid take would be that they win more when they outscore yeah. their opponents. Well, but. I'll tell you one thing right now. <laughs> the give, us a, give us a sunny Randall, but don't, but in basketball, tell yeah. me. <laughs> tell you one thing right now. The herd's going to win this game. They're going to have to hit more buckets than their opponent. <laughs> uh, no, but excellent pickup by men's basketball. Uh, that that fills several needs, right? So that's there currently right now. No more scholarships available for the for the upcoming season. They're full, so I don't yeah. expect any other moves to be made unless something catastrophic happens. So we shall see. But on paper, this looks like a team that could really make some noise in the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt was not a very strong conference last year, so you know, depending on what other teams do and the moves they make. You know, the herd might come into this thing in a very favorable position. We shall yeah, see. Yeah, and if a couple of players are playing out of position, you put them back where they're going to be more dominant. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, been a lot of chatter of uh, early season when uh, Obina was playing more in the five. You know, he was leading the nation at one point in block shots. You know, he was a disruptor down there. Uh, he started coming out to play more of the four. Kenzie went up to the two, you know, people shuffling around and everything. This might right the ship by putting people back where they're at. Yeah. You got to like that move. I mean, it was, it checked a number of boxes and they, they hit that one just right. Getting Kenzie yeah. back and then getting the, getting Kerfman, um, big moves here. Got to be a little optimistic now, as opposed from where you were at the end of the season, you got to feel better right now. Yeah. Next, right, on the, next on the agenda. Let's go over to the pitch. As shall it's we? called, we shall. Um, soccer won the college spring league championship, men's soccer, and surprising, uh, was, surprising no one. <laughs> it was on uh, Bowling Green put this together, and uh, we beat Bowling Green in uh, on Saturday in Columbus, uh, yeah. to take the championship. But uh, <laughs> these guys just keep winning they just you know you, you lose some players and everything and then you know we're playing in the spring league championship and we just run the table you know so great program <laughs> you take a loss and then you turn right around and beat the mortal dog crap out of louisville and then you just go ahead and win the whole damn thing yeah so i like that trend so if we can just you know like lose a game and then eh, beat the brakes off the next team and then go ahead and win the, the title that'd be great so yeah if that's if that's the if that's the uh, the the pattern that we're going to follow, I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the green and white game on Saturday, but, um, you know, just to touch on football as we go around the herd, you get guys go. You know, no. I know we talked about it earlier, but 84 degrees, you're itching for some football anyway. Yeah. You're not going to be able to see football at Marshall until uh, September go, go to the game, take the kids, there's inflatables, you know, just yeah. go to the game. Um, and again, plug, I'll be there. I'll be tailgating. You want to stop by and chat about the podcast or, you know, grab a bite to eat or a drink or something. Hit me up. Just say, Hey, all right. Um, softball yeah. four and one on the week. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, about, Coach uh, Smith Lyon with her 500th win on Friday and Allie Harrell uh, winning the Warrior Award. Um, but the walk-off mercy rule, you know, stealing <laughs> home. Uh, just a fun team, man. Yeah. You know, we've we've talked about it, I think, every week. But well, they are killing Rightfully it. so. They deserve it. 
And there is a, I know you'll like this. There is a big looming yeah. WKU. Yep. I've got series that in my up. notes. Yep. You're right. So let's um, hear about it. So they swept the FIU, uh, got the midweek game. They dropped the midweek game. Not a big deal. Um, 28 and 11 on the season, 11 and four in conference, tied currently with Western Kentucky with that big weekend series MVGKY looming. This one can, I mean, it's going to decide who's in first place coming yeah. out of the It's a three game set. You got a tied record. Somebody's going to come out of this with the bona fide lead in the conference. Do both um, teams have no one until this series? Will they go in tied or? Uh, well, in conference, know? they will. Yeah. This okay. is the next conference series. Uh, the girl, the I gals have Bowling a green had a game between now and then or not. Well, they've got a midweek. I mean, I'm sure they do, but it's out of conference just like we do. We've got a midweek okay. on Wednesday with Moorhead State at the dot at 3 p.m. So it's just you know one of those to keep everybody loose and and in the groove and all that kind of thing. It really doesn't freaking matter. Um, uh, but both teams are 11 and four in conference. There's going to be no other conference games until the weekend series. Okay. Um, gals are undefeated at the dot this year. How about that? I, I caught that on the tail end of someone somewhere. So it's great stat. If you would have been going to watch games, you would have not lost seen a loss this year so far at the dot. Um, yeah, the weekend series at WKU will be at WKU. So it's 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 not a terrible drive if you want to go about five, five and a half hours to get you there. Um, I don't I don't know that you know. You want to go there and drive back and make the trip three times, but um, depending on how the series goes, if these if these gals split the first two games, maybe you want to make a Sunday road or a Saturday road trip and and check it out, you know, to see who comes out in first place in the Conference USA. Uh, they're pretty good. Those Hilltopper gals are pretty good too. They've been making a lot of noise as well. Um, but these teams haven't played, believe this or not, they haven't played a series since 2019. You believe that? Hmm. No, I wow. don't. I clicked on that history link and uh, it gives you a history of all the games that they played on Herd Zone. And it's the most recent one was in 2019. Did not, would not have guessed that. I just would have assumed that everybody plays everybody every year, but apparently not. So right now, uh, that Wednesday game is uh, against Moorhead. That's going to yeah. be on ESPN Plus. If anybody, you know, from oh, out cool. of town and can't be there, you know, check them out. Uh, cool. If you are in town, it's a Wednesday evening. Go watch a good game. Throw well, yeah. uh, not evening, 3 p.m. Yeah, First still. Pitch, 3 throw it on in the afternoon while you're doing something or just watch the game. But uh, yeah. killer softball. They're uh, hoping to see the gals put a chokehold on first place here this late in the season. It would be nice. If something catastrophic happens and they happen to lose, you know, get swept, um, FAU's right there nipping at their heels for third place. So this could get really, really interesting. There's a lot more on the line than just potential being in first place. You know, you're going to be talking about seeding for the Conference USA tournament coming up real, real soon, and this one's going to go a long way to, you know, seeing who gets uh, that number one or number two or number three. So we need to get this one for sure. So um, let's move it along to the baseball team, Russ. It's another rough week for the guys. Um, they're, they're, Fridays are great for them. Yeah. <laughs> Fridays. Well, and, and the, you know, they uh, they opened up on the week on Tuesday. They beat Ohio 10-3, to and then uh, Friday yeah. they beat a very, very good Louisiana Tech team 10-9. to Yeah. They were in it on the doubleheader in both games yeah. uh, on Saturday against La Tech, and they just, you know, a couple of innings where the, the proverbial wheels fell off. Yeah, the gates just opened up and runs started piling up. You know, that uh, Saturday uh, 
second game, it was five five. They ended up losing eleven to five. Yeah, you know, scored it's six. Just the way, in the, it's the way it the goes. Final inning. So they split the week two to two, and but the you know that's it's like the fourth consecutive losing series in conference play now. After you know, in the last two, they've been up one zero and then just got swept in the doubleheader, and it's that's that's heartbreaking. So yeah, they got a quick turnaround Tuesday game at Ohio State in Columbus, and then a weekend series also against Western Kentucky in Bowling yeah. Green. So, so if you uh, find yourself near Bowling Green, you can watch yeah. softball and baseball both down yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're there on Friday or Saturday because. Mm -hmm. Both games, both teams should be playing both days. So it is what it is. Rough go of the week for the uh, guys. The joke was circulating around on Friday after that. Uh, I'm going to say it because it was funny to me. I, I laughed. They said, well, you know, it was, it was opposing fans, actually. It was like Southern Miss fans or something like that were saying, hey, since Marshall beat uh, Louisiana Tech, I guess you guys get their lights for the, yeah. for the stadium. I was like, man, you guys have no chill. That is not cool. <laughs> but, you know, it's well documented, the rivalry between Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech. They call that the rivalry in Dixie. It's very heated. So I'm um, sure Southern Miss was happy to see La Tech take an L at the hands of the Herd. Yeah, and I, those same guys were telling us they were rooting on the Herd. And, you know, it looked real promising there. It I did, mean, it, it did, it did. Uh, Damn it. All right, tennis, uh, senior day, senior day this week. They split the match, took a loss to Western Kentucky, four to three, and turned right around and beat the ever-loving crap out of West Virginia State, swept them seven yep. to nothing. So um, nice to see the, the three seniors go out with a win down at uh, Brian David Fox Tennis Center. Um, but still, splitting, yeah, take it. I mean, it been been nice to sweep the weekend, but, you know, at least you're going out with your last match at home with a win, a convincing one, 7 nothing. Yeah, and uh, Wednesday is the conference tournament. Oh, yeah, Wednesday is the conference tournament. So, good luck to those gals. Cheer them on. Uh, send them some tweets or something. Let them know that you're out there supporting them. And I'd like to see them get the job done. Speaking of conference tournament, uh, the women's golf, uh, as you are listening to this, it may already be Monday. Um, but uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is Conference USA Championship for women's golf. So uh, keep keep up with that as well. Yeah, that's right. Hit long. <laughs> Stay under par. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> um, let's talk women's track, man. Really? At, at JMU, that meet. Um, yeah, the JMU Invitational. I don't know if you guys are paying attention. Um, but I would implore you to at least go to herd zone and read the article about that because it's going to be far more detailed about what Russ and I are going to be talking about, but, uh, a lot of eyebrow raising, uh, results from that meet on a number of levels for our, our herd runners. Well, let's throw some of them out here because I mean, we're, we talked about Abby Herring setting, you know, uh, beating her record, um, in a, in an earlier uh, episode by two seconds you know yeah. the school record and let's talk about some of the things that that went on with this um ashanti warner won both the 100 and 400 hurdles both with lifetime bests meet and stadium records in both events yeah <laughs> that's that's insane to me that's a killer trifecta right there yeah, and it said the 400 victory, uh, her time was uh, 58.17 seconds. It was also a school record and the yep. top time in Conference USA. Yeah. How about um, that? 
She ran the 100-meter hurdles in 13.61, which is her lifetime best, and you mentioned it's a meet and stadium record. Look, yeah. I don't know when the Conference USA uh, championships are for track and field, but if these gals are peaking at this moment, they're, they're in the right time to be doing that. If they're yeah. running personal bests, they're setting stadium records. I mean, I don't know what the record is at JMU. Who knows? Who cares? But and th- they're this setting th- school records as well. Yeah. And th- this stood out to me too in that uh, that 100 hurdles that Ashanti Warner won. Coming in second was Tyra Thomas from Marshall, and it was also her lifetime best, and it was the fourth fastest mark in the league. <laughs> so you had the first and fourth both in the same race in Conference USA. Crazy to me. Yeah, I, I actually jotted down a bunch of these bests. Um, uh, you mentioned Abby Herring, 300, mm-hmm. or, I'm sorry, 3,000 meters. Uh, she set a new Marshall record, uh, nine minutes, 54.72 seconds. So another record for Ms. Herring. Uh, 1,500 meters, Kylie Maston, a lifetime best, four minutes, 35.13 seconds, which is also number two in school history. Um, you know, Ashanti Warner just obliterated a lot of stuff we talked about. Yeah, uh, Mar- Marley Porter ran a lifetime best in the in the uh, 400 meter hurdles at one one minute four point. I'm sorry, one minute four seconds. I don't know how to say the one point shit. Whatever, a minute four point <laughs> four eight seconds. Jeez. Um, Macy Majoy with a pole vault uh, meet and stadium record three point nine one meters. Um, <clears throat> Maria. Is that what I Maria? Oh, I'm sorry, Maria Para long jump five point seven three meters is her lifetime best. Um, hammer throw Brooke Burns fifty four point nine seven meters her lifetime best. Four hundred meters Jillian King fifty seven point three nine seconds her lifetime best. And in the same race or the same discipline, four hundred meters Erica Murphy fifty seven point five nine seconds right nipping at the heels of Miss King. Uh, that's also Murphy's lifetime best. Tons of lifetime best, Marshall records, stadium records, and meet records. Marshall just dominated the JMU Invitational on a number of levels. So congratulations to all those gals. The results of your hard work are coming to fruition at the right time. Um, a lot of momentum building towards Conference USA Championships. They got to be coming up pretty soon. I mean, we're getting to the end of the school year, so it's got to yeah. be coming pretty close. I, I looked it up and I can't remember. Uh, we'll obviously be tweeting out anytime, you know, the schedule uh, comes up and everything. You know what, what killed me here? We went on and on about how impressive it was to shave two minutes off of your already record. And uh, Abby Herring in that 3000 meters, it says smash the 2007 school record mark by Marion Brooks. It was nearly seven seconds <laughs> yeah i know i read that now i know we're talking about you know over nearly 10 minutes of of time so here what? but that's crazy seven yeah. seconds so yeah i mean they they racked up down there you know and and it wasn't just about who came in first uh, on all this stuff when you're you're setting all these uh personal records and everything and it's like they're all pushing each other you know, right. To, yeah. I, w- yeah. I was going to say that it slipped my mind. It's like, you know, I, I mentioned those two times of 57.39 seconds, 57.59 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I use the term nipping at your heels. If that happened to be in the same heat in the same, not just the same discipline, but they were actually running at the same time. You cannot tell me that there was not a little bit of, uh, you know, 
personal yeah. like uh personal heat between the two of them like wanting to win that one so yeah yeah i'm, I'm glad throw, to see that hammer throw we didn't get first but then we won the next four you know we were <laughs> two three four and five placing yeah. you know in the hammer throw so uh ladies great job um you know we try to cover you know a little bit of all sports as we've mentioned uh anyone listening to this if you're an athlete on any of these teams you know uh, dm us or uh, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what we need to be covering. You know, we'd, we'd love to uh, cover more of this stuff, you know, like when, when the next meet is that sort of thing. Yeah. There's going to be stuff that slips through the cracks like always. And if uh, you know, we want to be able to put all the shine on you that we can. So you shouldn't be shy about saying, Hey, this happened to my teammate. And I think it's yeah. awesome you know, yeah. um, mention that. And we'd be glad to do that, you know, because this is what it's all about. So, Russ, do you have any parting words this week before we get out of here? I think I already said mine. Go to the green and white game and come tailgate. I mean, yeah. doesn't have you don't have to tailgate with me. I'm, I'm going to see, you know, hundreds of people tailgating at other locations and everything. But, you know, feel free to stop by and say hi or something like that. Uh I know there will be several of us over there at, at uh, whatever spot I end up getting. And, uh, um, you know, you I, a lot of people might not know who I look like or, you know, what I look like or whatever. But you you should be able to figure it out, you know, where I'm at. I am going to take over, uh, you know, uh, microphone and headset, that sort of thing. Uh, we'll be trying to do something a little cool. We had not ironed everything out, but, you know, we'll let everybody know on Twitter what we're going, going to be doing. Yeah. I mean, this may not be like a normal hour, hour and a half ish podcast, of course, but we might do 10 or 15 minutes just throughout the day. And, you know, once, once a crowd rolls in and get a, get a live, you know, just a live firsthand experience of how the day is, what, what's yeah. going on and what, you know, the mood, maybe you will coax some people to drive across town that otherwise weren't going to do that. So, yep. Uh, but yeah, Another great week, some some fantastic results. The softball team just keeps on rolling. The football team is making all the progress that we could hope to see at this point in the spring. I mean, it's a good time to be excited, right? Don't be the wait-and-see fan. Like, get on board early. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out the way we had all hoped, and we just have to go, eh, well, you know, maybe. But if it does work out, then you can be like, you know, I was paying attention to that early on, and and I uh, was really excited about that. It, I would rather be that type of fan, you know. Um, the track team killing it this week at the JMU Invitational. Um, the baseball team, for what it's worth, will get it right. I mean, sooner yeah. or later, it'll start clicking. You you can't help it when the floodgates open. And, uh, you know, if the wheels come off, the wheels come off. We've all been there. We've all been there. We've all been in those games when everything's going right until it doesn't. And um, it is what it is. But keep getting behind these student-athletes. The last thing we'll say is uh, – Thanks once again to 304carwreck.com for supporting the Thundercast and helping us bring this content to you. Um, so be sure to check them out on Facebook, give them a like, and head over to 304carwreck.com uh, if you need services for which they offer. So until next week, Russ, uh, I guess I'll see you. Well, you'll see them around the Joan next week. So take us out of here. Join the big green, go to the big, uh, green and white game, and I will see you at the Joan. 
Go Herd. Follow us on Twitter. Later. <laughs>